Welcome to Cars and Kung Fu, a podcast about my two passions that are totally unrelated to each other. I'm your host, Chris Vicente. I'm an amateur race car driver, martial artist of uh, Shaolin Kung Fu and various other disciplines. I have with me a couple of co-hosts, uh, Coven Blackman. I'll let her introduce himself. Coven. Hello. So my name is Coven Blackman. I'm an amateur race car driver with Chris here, and uh, I just like cars. All right. We also have our co-host, uh, Delmar Miner, a master of uh, Northern Shaolin Kung Fu. Delmar? Hey, guys. How are you? My name's Delmar, and I love martial arts, and uh, can't wait to talk more about it. All right. So I guess we'll go ahead and get started. So, Coven, what car manufacturer do you think has made the most desirable cars in their history? And let's leave out Ferrari and Porsche, Lamborghini, people like that. Let's look at Toyotas, Fords, Honda, Chevy. Who do you think has made the most desirable cars over the course of their manufacturing life? All right. So, for me, this is actually. I won't lie. Um, I said something completely different earlier, but what I will say is I actually say Chrysler has the most desirable car nowadays because you've got the Viper. Oh, well, you had the Viper. Rest in peace. It's soul. Um, you have Hellcats now, Scat Packs, and now they're about to drop an EV, which we'll see how that goes, but no one dodged. It won't be as you know on par with everyone else. It might make a lot of power, but it probably won't be on par with, you know, electric economy or anything like that. Well, you also had the Plymouth, uh, the Prowler. This guy you had right here. the Dodge Neon. So they're not always been big hits out there. Well, now, well, actually, I'll say this. You say you talk about the you use the Prowler and the Neon SRT4 in the same context. They are nowhere near the same context. I don't know a guy now who says, you know what? Today, I'm going to go out and look for a Plymouth Prowler. No, nobody says that. <laughs> they all say, you know what? You know what? SRT4, they're, they're cheap right now. You know, they're OK. They're decent cars. I mean, front wheel drive. Most guys now, they'll get some front wheel drive and they're like, nah. I'm going to give me something rear wheel drive. I was just talking to somebody the other day and they were like, yeah, you know, I had to switch to rear wheel drive. I just, you know, after a while, you know, because most people start off with like a Civic or something or they learn stick in a Civic and they're like, I want something better. Then people switch to rear wheel drive, like a Miata or, you know, S chassis. But, you know, you can't find an affordable S chassis nowadays anyway. Uh, and for those who are into the Kung Fu side, S chassis is a word for, you know, some Nissan cars that were made back in the day. Um, well, you know, Nissan had a lot of desirable cars, you know, from the Fair Ladies to the Skylines, the GTRs, the Z car series, mm -hmm. the 240s, even 200 SX Bluebird yep. with the V6 in it. That's a lot of desirable cars. They also they had produced. the Pulsar. The Pulsar is one of the most desirable cars of all time. And that's because we race a Pulsar. Yeah, that's because me and Chris raced one. Um, so, um, look. The Pulsar was good, all right? Not the year we got, but the Pulsar was good. Delmore? Without me being a car guy, could you explain what a Pulsar is? Because I'm kind of kind in the dark here. All right. So depending on who you ask, they're going to tell you different versions of the Pulsar. So the Pulsar was made, I believe it was started to be made in 80, Chris, you can correct me, 80, I know we had 86. I had it had them as early as 82, 82 in America. So in America, they were 82 
and it kind of it died in I'd say around the mid eighties, like well, early nineties. They turned it. There was a Pulsar NX, and it turned into the NX, mm-hmm. and that was in America up through ninety three. But it was really made in Japan all the way to two thousand six, and it's actually being made now because actually the Pulsar now is just a rebranded Nissan Sentra. Uh, so for you, Delmar, it's, it's the Pulsar is literally just. It's not nothing worthy. It's not nothing worthy. Like, I know you said you have a Rogue. Like, that's a car that, you know, people would kind of know because Rogues are crossovers and they're in right now. Crossovers are in, um, which is why they're kind of desirable now. Um, but, I'm, but a Pulsar, it's just, imagine a car that is not aerodynamic and not race worthy, but yet can be turned into a race car. Um they even came turboed in Japan. Um, but for desirable cars now, I'd say Chrysler, electric cars like Tesla. I hate to say it. I'm not a Tesla fan, but Elon, Elon's doing something right. And I mean, even now the Prius and stuff like that, most car manufacturers now are going electric. I talked about Dodge earlier. Uh, Jeep was switching their Renegade to like EV. Ford's coming out with their EV stuff, like the Ford Maverick, which was a hybrid. It's a hybrid. It's a hybrid, so In everybody's fact, going EV of, now. Uh, Chrysler, which is now Stellaris or Stellaris or I'm Still, not sure. Stellantis or something Stellantis, like whatever they're calling themselves now. They they are changing the slogans for every every one of their car brands. So Jeep is going to be tear up the road, don't tear up the earth. And Alpha Romeo is wow, going to be that's... Alpha E Romeo. Wow, sounds great. So they're really all in on the electric cars. Uh, I have, I look at the different models as desirable. So, you know, to me, Nissan has built a lot of desirable cars. And I listed some of those earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whereas Honda, you know, they, they did make the Prelude. SI, they made the Civic SI. Now, for for those of you that don't know, I'm a Honda guy. Like, I love Hondas to death. Um, now, nowadays, even with the new Civic coming out, pe- some people are skeptical. Like, they've got the sedan, and I don't think they're doing a... I think they cut the coupe out, so rest in peace, coupe. That was the, you know... And you still get a Honda with a, with a manual transmission? And you still can, because I believe the hatchback, you can still get it, and the sedan, you might be able to. Um, the hatchback, don't... Some people were mad at me about that. The hatch looks ugly to me, but we won't talk about that. Uh, the sedan, I think, is the better version. Um, but they both, I believe, come with stick. What do you think about the European uh, desirable cars? BMW has the M Series, AMG through Mercedes. And they just tend to take whatever they have and just... The M division will just throw a bigger motor, bigger brakes, and yep. and we're off. And AG, AMG just uh, does the same thing to... Everything from G wagon to, you know, the small coupes. And Volkswagen's doing the same thing with their GTIs and their R lines. Not, if you can tell, I just said I was a Honda guy. I'm more of a Japanese guy. Are these desirable cars? Are the European makes a really desirable car? Would uh, people rather have a, a JDM? Or do we even go way back and do we look at, you know, 60s muscles, GTOs, Mustangs? Uh, Camaros, Chevelles, um, 
So, so now in Barracudas. This, this day and age, desirable cars also come with desirable prices. I mean, nowadays, nobody can really go back that far and find something good unless they're throwing their money into, you know, the pit themselves. I'd say nowadays, I mean, it's, it's, it depends on the prices. JDM seems to make, they make good cars that are bang for their bucks because they last long. Uh, maintenance isn't that bad. And, you know, you can pick one up on the street or you can pick one up used. I mean, they're still going to last a while. Honda, Toyota, I mean, they're the gods of reliability. And then you have, you know, Germans, I mean, besides their pops and bang tunes, you know, um, they're... You're I'm not a German guy. Explain that one to me. I might have to. Ex- so, a pop and bang tune is it's like a burble. So, like exhausts make burble noises. It's it's hard to explain without making weird noises from my mouth. But um, we could be entertained by that. No, nah, no. Nah, look, I saved that for the weekends. Anyway, um, oh, it is Sunday. Oh God. Um, it's just when they let off the uh, the throttle, their car in response will make a noise out of the exhaust. It's kind of like a verbal tune. You know, it's like a couple pops or some bangs. And, you know, a lot of people don't like that. Uh, I've heard a lot of people in the community get harassed by people because of that. Um, but for us, I mean, it's a cool thing. Oh, my God, that GTI is going down the street making pops and bangs. And, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. Um, well, some are cool. Um, That's very different from our pops and bangs, isn't it, Del Mar? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um. But actually, to be fair, to make your point, pops and bangs, I mean, that's what actually gets the car community in trouble nowadays. Um, because now, at this point, um, you can't show up to a good meet and get something happening because the guy with the pop and bang tune is popping and, and banging a little bit too hard. And next thing you know, the cops are called because some, you know, old Maybelline down the street thinks gunshots are AK-47s. Hey, hey I'm just saying it happens. It happens way too often. And um, that's just the car scene now. It sucks. But to get back to the topic of desirable cars, Germans can make some good desirable cars. There's a lot of people, the M series, even just the old, you know, 335 or 328s. I mean, people really like them. All right. Well, you've added uh, some topics I think we'll have for in the future. Some- <laughs> What kind of prices we need, maybe some bargain desirable cars in the future. Mm-hmm. So let's go over to uh Delmar Miner, or as we call Master Miner. How you doing, Chris? So if you could study any other martial art, I know you studied Shaolin Kung Fu, Ishinru Karate, and you've dipped your hand in judo, Arnie, some different things. What other martial art would you study that say is not available to you now? I would study Swai Jiao. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that's Chinese war wrestling. And now you see a lot more people um, delving more into grappling arts. And that's something that in my martial arts career, I haven't had the opportunity to uh, study as uh, adeptly as I like to. So I would love to study that. Also, maybe maybe even a little jujitsu. I think uh, being a well-rounded fighter is important nowadays especially with MMA uh, becoming so popular. And I, I like to give my students every opportunity to be able to learn different things because one, mainly for self-defense purposes, but also too, when we go into competitions now, you see a lot more people who are delving into other arts 
Uh, and so to be competitive, you kind of have to be well-rounded nowadays. They are doing a lot more with some grappling uh, competitions that used to not be there. Um, I know through our, our events um, with the United States Guoshu Federation and uh, the Carolinas Association of Chinese Mar Martial Arts, the events that we hold, we allow throws in our fights, which is unusual for what was in the karate scene here in North Carolina of just kind of point, point sparring when we add the continuous. Um, so I know I, I did a little bit of judo myself, uh, getting a, about a year, did a green belt in that and got some grappling. Then that really opened my eyes to where this really was in my art, uh, where the throws were, or where they could come out of the forms. I, for me, I would probably want to study a more historical martial art um, before they had Tai Chi, some of the internal arts, predecessors, things like uh, Pig Zwan or uh, Fonzi Quan, that kind of explosive steel wrapped in cotton kind of uh, arts just to, just to kind of get a historical perspective. COVID? I'm not even going to pretend that I can uh, pronounce what you just said, but for both of those, what sets them apart from all the other ones? So Pigzwan and Fonzi Quan were warrior arts that had came from Shaolin, uh, which is the mecca for a lot of Kung Fu, but not all Kung Fu started in Shaolin. A lot of it started in other areas and other disciplines, the Taoist uh, arts from Wudang, for example, had some different things. And uh, Pigzwan was an emperor guard art, and Fonzi Quan was also a, a guard art, but these are very explosive arts in nature. Uh, hard to explain, but it would be kind of like a wave building up and then crashing down. Like a thundering wave? Like a thundering wave. Okay. That's a quick plug for uh, the martial arts here. <laughs> For my school, yes, Thundering Wave Martial Arts. Now, Chris, let me ask you this. Do you feel like, you know, and especially, you know, we both do Kung Fu. Do you feel like in Kung Fu competitions, do you feel like they should start incorporating more ground fighting into the continuous sparring aspect? Or should we still separate the two? I think we should still separate them. I just don't see where uh, we're not cage fighting. And there is already areas set up for cage fighting. And the thing I've always felt with competitions, I feel that sparring has a place where you get out there and you have to face an opponent you've never faced, but it's in a controlled environment, so you feel more comfortable. And then you can move up to other arts, such as the full contact, where throws are allowed, but you know you don't have the ground fighting uh, aspect of it. And then you can move from there into cage fighting, uh, you know, UFC, Balfour, whoever. And that gives you an opportunity to kind of build build up. If you have the grappling arts, we've had wrestling, we've had judo matches for many moons, many years. Uh, I have not seen anybody successfully meld that into an amateur uh, competition that was not an MMA fight. So I just don't think that uh, for our competitions, we could keep them relatively safe. It takes, like when I worked uh, at a university at one point um the mma club actually snapped a, a kid's arm uh, and i just don't think that we could keep it safe 
in the competition that we have. Uh, at some point, it's going to get out of hand. We already are kind of battling um, keeping the full contact safe, but we've, we've done that long enough that people know to go with the throws and things. But you get them down on the ground, you start applying arm bars, and if somebody doesn't let up because of their pride, that's all we need is a snapped arm. Right. Especially, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, realize that in the Kung Fu community, we have had full contact fighting for quite a while. Uh, the lay tie. And if you don't know what lay tie is, lay tie is basically where you you fight on a raised platform and with full contact fighting rules. Um, you wear limited amounts of gear. And as Chris said, throws are allowed. No ground fighting. And we've seen people, you know, get severely hurt on the lay tie. Uh, if they're not prepared, uh, myself and Chris here, we both done late tie fighting, uh, which I, I do encourage people. If you want to take your Kung Fu to another level to train for that and maybe at least do one competition, uh, you know, in your training career, but otherwise, uh, it's interesting now that, uh, that you say that you want to, you know, keep those, uh, the grappling and the wrestling separate, which I can understand that. I feel like I think that's a smart idea for safety concerns. Um, and especially at the CACMA tournament at the Carolina Association of Chinese Martial Arts Tournament that we have every year. The Swajow competition seems to be growing more and more and more. And, uh, you know, maybe eventually we can look at adding a ground fighting section uh, to include more competitors. That's a pretty good idea. We might have to have to think about doing that. Coven? And I actually have a question um, because. For example, when you're talking about the arm bar uh, maneuvers and stuff like that, um, and guys not laying up with their pride, how do we, I mean, how do you guys, for you guys both having schools, do you teach to let up? You know, I mean, of course, I assume you guys teach, you know, to have pride for your school, but do you teach them, you know, is there a time and place to let up? You know, when do you not let up? When do you let up? We always want to stress uh, there's no shame in getting beat by a better competitor. Mm -hmm. And what I teach, I've always had the saying that, you know, any man can beat any other man on any given day. All we're doing by studying martial arts is by hedging our bets that we will be the better man on, or woman on that day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but you're in the heat of battle. A lot of competitors, at least at the CACMA tournament, never been in a full contact fight, never have taken a full shot to the face, mm -hmm. close to where they're knocked out. Uh, I had one student, he fought one man. He said every time he got hit, it went black. Then he could see again. You know, and he got lucky. He did win his fight because the guy slipped and fell and hurt himself. Or I don't know that Charlie would have survived that fight. But that's a whole nother story. So <laughs> the bigger they are, the harder uh, they fall, right? But there, Charlie was not going to give up. You know, every time he got hit several times, but he didn't, like, fall to the ground or, or give up. So when you're in the heat of battle, you're not necessarily going to give up. And so while we can talk about that a lot, I don't know that... uh that it will necessarily translate. Delmar? I feel like as a martial artist, there is a sense of pride that you do have. And when you have that competitive spirit that's going on, um, it just really depends on the person. Some people are more apt to, to I don't want to use the term give up, 
or I would say submit uh, in the heat of battle and some are not. So I think it just kind of depends on your personality and, 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 you know, how, how much guts are you going to give it? You know, cause there are people who are in an arm bar, you know, they, they, they've got you, but they won't give. So they would, they have the pride enough to say, Hey, I'd rather have my arm snapped than give up. Now me personally, if somebody's got me in an arm bar in a competition and I know they could break my arm, I'm probably going to tap. But not because of a pride issue, because I don't want my arm broken. Yep. So, you know, I'm just being smart for my own body and my own safety. That doesn't make me less of a person because, you know, I, I'm looking out for myself. But, you know, I do feel like, you know, martial arts does teach that sense of pride. And it just really depends on the competitor. And it also depends on your training. Some people teach never give up. Don't I don't care if they get you, you know, if you get choked out, you get choked out. Or you get knocked out, you get knocked out. Um, but if you're in a competition and I feel like this, if you feel like you could be severely hurt or if I see my student who's in a competition and I have the opportunity to step in and I know they can be severely hurt because they're not defending themselves or they're clearly outmatched, then I'm going to stop it for safety reasons. Mm -hmm. we, we see this. Um, Master Delmar had a uh, student fight. Uh, he kept getting knocked down. And Delmar from the corner is like, don't get back up. Don't get back up. But he still got up and he, and he finished the fight. Mm -hmm. So these, these run deep. And it's hard to say. Uh, and as you get older, you get a little more maturity. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, it's not that important in this competition to, to fight like that. Uh, but when you're young and you're fighting, uh, there's a saying when you do referee stuff that fighters are, uh, they lose their minds. Mm -hmm. And they do. They're they're so focused. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's up to the referees to keep everybody safe. And as you guys were talking about that, it just made me realize that this translates to the racetrack. For example, when you know me and you were on the um, when we were racing at Charlotte Motor Speedway, there were cases where, um, for example, a lot of guys didn't want to get passed. Uh, Champ Car, which is where uh the organization which we raced in. Um, they have set rules and stuff like that on, you know, let somebody pass. If you're obviously outmatched, let them pass and stuff like that. But some guys don't. That's true. Because some guys have, you know, as you guys talk about having pride, I mean, they have pride in their race teams. Well, you know. But a if race you're an A-class car, yeah. which is 1.9 liters or below, mm -hmm. and you're running against, say, something that was swapped with an LS. Yeah, you obviously <laughs> need to let go and give. But a lot of people... In a lot of race um, organizations around the world, they don't give up. Then they will always, they'll, they'll either block or, like, a good example is, you know, I doubt a lot of people in here might be NASCAR fans, but if you're listening, you're a NASCAR fan, you probably know about Ryan Newman and the fact that he will never give up, and he will always block no matter how outmatched he is, and you will have to work your way around him. And a lot of guys on the track are the same way, where, you know, because when we ran, we ran a Pulsar, which we talked about earlier, uh, and we were A-class, we were at the bottom of the barrel, um, and we, we knew that we could not pass people. We knew that we would be the ones getting passed. Hey, so we passed the car that was broke. Okay. You're right. We passed a couple cars that were broke, a couple cars that crashed and a couple cars that somehow let us go. I passed a civic and I was mad and sad at the same time. I was like, wow, out of every car here, we passed a civic, but I was like, damn, I passed a civic. I was happy about that moment, but um, it's stuff like that where the Civic was just slower on the track and they're like, all right, I'm going to let him go. And they moved over to the side. 
The Civic didn't have to do that because the Civic would have got me off a corner anyway. So it's stuff like that where I assume, you know, in you guys' cases, you know, you know, you know, don't, I mean, you guys teach your kids, you know, don't give up if you don't think you should give up. But, you know, if you think you're clearly outmatched, then don't risk yourself. And a lot of guys in the, uh, even in Charlotte, a lot of guys um, will risk themselves, you know, thinking, you know, uh, I can push it. I mean, I hit a wall. I said, uh, I can push it. I'll be okay. And Chris is over in the corner talking about some, don't do it. Don't do it. And then I was like, yeah, well, you know, I'll break a little later in the corner. And that definitely didn't work out in the end after I hit the wall. And the second guy to hit the wall um, in corner one, um, I mean, it really is relatable. Uh, that was one thing that I really thought was really relatable. Oh, they, they whispering over there. I want y'all to know, according to this podcast. Yes, Delmar? So when you say you hit the wall, were you like too oh. close or... Chris, Are you I, taking it I too fast? How, how does that work? Oh, see, Chris is over here whispering to Delmar. See, I knew, I knew it was coming back. See, in corner one, it was so for you guys that don't know or didn't know what we did, uh, when we were racing at Charlotte, it was raining. It was pouring down rain. The Pulsar does not have rear disc. So it was locking up in a lot of the corners. Basically means, you know, like your Nissan Rogue has ABS. You know, it's preventing, uh, it's called anti-lock brake system abs it prevents your car from locking up well our car was made in 1986 there was no abs even thought about in 1986 in japan so uh we were braking with rear uh with rear drums and we were just the car wouldn't stop the way you wanted i mean the cops uh, the car stopped when it wanted to stop so were you kind of like drifting or so i will tell you sliding is more like we were oh. Oh, we were power sliding boy i mean when i mean i was going around the track i was going around the infield and i knew the car was sliding i knew i was burning the tires off that thing i was driving the wheels off of that pulsar because i was like i mean because it just it turned when it needed to turn it now it turned terrible i'm not gonna lie to y'all they handled like complete it was it was nowhere. I was driving a dump truck, but it in turn one, you're coming off of uh, the NASCAR banking. So you're driving. I mean, we were going probably 80 close to maybe 80. We want to feel like we were going 80. Um, and I jumped on the brakes and I was the second driver to do this in our car. And a lot of drivers actually did it during the, uh, the race. Um, but I jumped on the brakes because we have a braking zone, which was a start finish. As soon as we jumped on the brakes. Um, it just, it locked up. And I was like, okay, in those moments, you want to, you could buy, I could bypass turn one, which I actually already did because I didn't make the corner. Um, I was thinking I'll bypass turn one and I'll just cut the course. Well, in a split second, I was like, mm, the car's turning a little bit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let it turn. As soon as I passed where I could turn off and try to make the turn, it just full course slid, hit the wall. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, you know? And I drove around the track just thinking, wow, like I put the car in reverse because of course I stalled it. Um, basically, if you don't uh, put your foot on the clutch and your car comes to a stop when it's in gear, it'll stall. Uh, it stalled. I, I started the car back up, put it in reverse, uh, came around the course, stopped. And I was like, and I got out of the car. I was like, golly, I really like destroy the front end of that car. It wasn't as bad as, you know, as it could have been, it but was I was pretty like, bad. 
it look okay some fender damage and the headlights you know that's not a problem look everybody's got an 86 poster on the backyard right chris sure so, so you know we could find that instantly we really couldn't uh not no pull apart but um but it was a good opportunity and um it, it was a terrible experience it wasn't a terrible experience but over to courses podcast I'm sure you're going to get to hear much, much more about our experiences racing and about our experiences in Kung Fu. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. I want to thank our producer, director, uh, media specialist, uh, editor, and whole list of other functions, Bonnie. She is uh, wonderful. We're in her uh, recording studio coming straight from her living room. Uh, give you a little Kung Fu history. Back in 1900, the Boxer Rebellion started. That's when the government and the peasants wanted to drive out the foreigners, so they got the martial artists to fight them. Unfortunately, they could not fight guns, and so it was a failed rebellion. <clears throat> in car history, uh, Nissan Motor Corporation started in December of 1933, and they have brought us many desirable cars, as we discussed in the program. So thank you so much, and we hope to hear you, you'll hear from us soon. Check us on uh, social media, wherever you see the great podcast cast. Thank you. Goodbye.